0: The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit RestorationSouthside.org. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house. David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him, and he ate in his presence and drank, so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of his lord, and he did not go down to his house. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting, and he instructed the messenger, When you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger arises, and if he says to you, Why did you go so near this city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, the son of Jeroboosheth? Did not a woman cast an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, Your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead, she lamented over her husband. And when the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Thank you, Bethany. Well, good morning. My name is Ben and I'm on staff here at Restoration. We're glad you're here uh, this morning worshiping with us. Uh, We are exploring uh, this summer, a series entitled Dispositions of the Heart. We're looking at the heart of David. King David in the Old Testament, uh, the greatest king and one of the greatest figures in the Bible even. Um, But we're seeing what is in him that should be commended and much of his early life really is very commendable. Things like courage and mercy um, he really is marked with kindness and generosity and humility. And yet, things are shifting now. Uh, he's been king for a while, and everything he has known up until now is winning, winning, winning. Everything has gone well. He's beaten Goliath. He's uh, taken things over. The enemies, like the Philistines, are driven out. The Ark of the Covenant is taken back. We're seeing all of these things go well for David and now things are getting complex. And I think for our own lives, things can go so well, so well, so well. And it's it's kind of a, a simple way to say it's good and then it's bad. Or it went well and now it's wrong. We have to hold intention the realities of things can go well and things can go really horrific. And hold in tension the complexity of the story. Because we're all living stories. And to that very thought, I do want to say before we explore this story is that um, this is a narrative. And so what we see here is there's about nothing commendable that David does in this passage, nothing. And I said that to say there's a specificity to brokenness that's really uh, dramatic in this story, and it is dramatic, and it happened, and it is wrong. And as you all have stories, and I have a story, as we come with multiple stories as who we are and what the Lord's writing in our own lives, into this room, there's a specificity to your own brokenness and the only the things that have happened in your life. And so when we read something so charged as this passage in the, in the Bible, in Scripture, uh, I do want to give light and acknowledgement to we're coming to a God who is the God of David. He is. And we're also coming to a God who's a God of Bathsheba, that he knows as uh, the people who are his are saints. And as people who are saints, there are we are both sinners and sufferers. And so maybe this morning you're feeling like one more than the other, but, but I think what we really should grab hold of is as we're coming together to Jesus, we should acknowledge and see what are you up to, Lord, in our own lives as we see ourselves at any point in this story. So long caveat, but did want to say that. Um, if you have questions about anything like that, feel free to find me. Um, but this morning, we'll we'll look at, as we're looking at the dispositions of the heart, we'll look at the heart of hiding, the heart of hiding that's in David uh, this morning. And We'll see it through uh, three ways, kind of exploring, combing through the passage. First, uh, the road to hiding. Second, the reason for hiding. And third, coming out of hiding. The road to hiding, the reason for hiding, coming out of hiding. So with that thing... And and more in mind, let's go to God in prayer as we ask Him to be with us as we study His Word together. Let's pray, Lord. The power of shame has gripped our hearts. And there's ways in which we know it so clearly and are are able to articulate it. And there are ways in which they're so heavy and we are in the fog. And the beauty of, of Christianity is that you see us in both those places. And so, Lord, as sinners and sufferers, as people marked with shame in both categories, would you meet us exactly where we are this morning, all so that we may know freedom. You've promised us freedom. And Lord, so much of life feels twisted and um, contorted and confusing. And so for all of us this day, no matter what we walk in this room with, you are a God who sees us. Because even in the things that are covered up, you see David and you see Bathsheba, and you see Uriah, and you see Joab, and you see us. May the fact that we are seen by you, Jesus, make us draw toward you, not away from you. We pray in your name. Amen. So first, we see the road to hiding, the road to hiding. David, that we have known and loved, is somebody who is one, one, one. As we have said, he's done great as a king, and now things change, and he has become his own worst enemy. David has become his own worst enemy. He does horrific things and then covers up the horrific things with horrific things and more horrific things and more horrific things. He covers bad with bad, and he fixes the bad that he covered bad with with bad. It, it doesn't go well in this passage for David. And it's important that we don't skip over it, too, that we have an honest look at David. And so we see in this passage, whether you're familiar with Christianity in the Bible or this is newer, We see what happens in david the the king who has become a shepherd boy straight to the throne on this rise what he's done in this passage that he uh sees someone he's on his roof and he sees a woman bathing and he says i want her and in his power he calls for her she's brought to him he sleeps with her and then she gets pregnant and and amid this she he realizes this is not good I've got to cover this up somehow. Some scandal that could happen. I've got to make sure it goes away. Fix it. And so what he does is he brings the husband home and says, hey, husband, go and lie down with your wife. So now this baby that she's going to have, people will think it's yours, not mine. And that's where we find ourselves in this road to hiding, this thing that David does to get himself all the way to become his own worst enemy. So while those are the things that mark the road to hiding and a little more we'll get to in a second where does it begin what is the first domino to fall in a passage that is um, the worst part of David's story really where where, where does it begin where, where does it start and what I would offer is that the road that that, that that's fostered to hiding begins When self-denial is called, and yet self-indulgence is chosen. Where we're called to deny ourselves, and yet instead we choose it in its place, self-indulgence. And it's very clear in the passage, and I think it's supposed to be very clear in the passage. Even as we look at an ancient text, modern ears and modern readers, we should pick up on, wait a second, they're trying to make this billboard worthy of, In your face, this is the point where we start. Self-indulgence instead of self-denial. And we see that in Uriah and David contrasted. So, it begins with this. Verse 1. In the spring, this is talking about David, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and he sent his servants with him and sent all of Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Now, you could think, okay, he's just staying at home. They're doing the work. It's fine. He doesn't have to go do every single thing, right? As an organization, that can be pretty inefficient, actually. But it's trying to tell us something. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, what is the king of Israel doing? He's staying home. He's called to deny himself and go out to battle and identify with his people and hold his responsibility with high regard and give himself away for protecting and leading his people against the threats that threaten them. And what does he do? He stays home. Now, what do we see about Uriah? He's this warrior he's this guy who is a part of the the people that David sends out to go to battle and so what is he marked with if we're if we really need to hone in on this um, self-denial and self-indulgence what is marked Uriah and we see in verse 9 that we see that uh, David has said oh my goodness, there's this illegitimate pregnancy and I'm and I'm the father. I've got to cover this up. Bring Uriah home and I will say, "Hey, thanks for leading the people. Thanks for doing this so well and fighting so hard for the kingdom. I'm going to give you a furlough. I'm going to give you a rest and just a quick respite and break. Come and go to your go to your wife, go to your house. Here's a gift and a present. Go." And what happens? After he's shoved out the door and David's trying to cover up his uh, his scandal It says this, in verse 9, it says, But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to the house. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, The ark in Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my lord Joab and servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go down to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. But David, when he is called to go out with his people to war, and be marked with self-denial, but David stays home and chooses self-indulgence. To cover up David's scandal, David tells Uriah, come, I'm giving you self-indulgence. And it says, but Uriah chose to identify with the soldiers that were lying in the field, so he lied down at David's door, and it says he chose self-denial. The person to be held up in high regard here is Uriah. Not David. And the heart of hiding, the road to hiding begins when self-indulgence is chosen when self-denial is called for. And it's all is because deep within a heart of hiding, you think to yourself, I'm going to choose self-indulgence because I deserve this. David has... He has conquered mountains as God's leader. The leader of, God, of the people of Israel as the kingdom. He's done amazing things. He was a shepherd boy, and now he's recaptured Jerusalem, gotten the ark uh, back. This is the good times, right? This is a They are on the upswing by the stock because they are doing great, and they're only going higher. And yet, what we see is something in David said, things are going so well, and I think I deserve this. Uh, I, what I want, I'm going to get. I get this and because I can. Now, if you picture the scene, first grade Ben, at a lion, uh, food lion with my mom, and we're shopping, and we're getting groceries. Food line's a grocery store, by the way. It's, it's on the brink of extinction, so rest in peace, food line. Don't buy their stock. Um, we're checking out. And as first grade Ben, we're going down the checkout aisle and my mom is putting things on the conveyor belt. And I, I see it three strategically placed, three and a half feet high, the NFL MVP sticker book. Every single player that you know and love is in that sticker book. And it's about this big. And I said, mother, I would like for you to purchase this sticker book for me. Would you do that, please? And she says, no, rightfully so. And so she then goes back to the cart and begins to load things in the conveyor belt. And I proceed to look back at the sticker book, grab it with my little hands, put it in the pocket of my sweatshirt, and do the classic hiding of putting the plugs in the sides of the the, the pocket, make sure it doesn't leave or it isn't seen. My conscience gets loud on the drive home. I think, okay, I'll just go help my mom unload the groceries. I'll be good then. So I go help her unload the groceries, of course, holding this sticker book in my pocket. And then finally, once the groceries are in, I go up to my room, close the door, lock it, and then look at Donovan McNabb on the sticker book. I didn't take that sticker book because I I needed it. I didn't need it. I didn't take the stickers because I wanted it, though I did want it. I took that sticker book because something in me said, I can and I deserve this. The rules of paying for it don't apply to me. The rules of a mother telling me no doesn't mean I don't deserve this. The heart of self-indulgence says, I'm going to give myself enough margin to Say yes, even while the call of self-denial is saying no. And that's what we see in the heart of David. He recuses himself from kingly responsibility and leading his people because he can. He all of a sudden takes Bathsheba because he can. He's calling Uriah back home to cover up his scandal because he can. He's marked with self-indulgence instead of self-denial. And in an age where rights are more important than responsibility, surely you can look at your own life and find ways in which the road to hiding begins when we choose self-indulgence over self-denial. So that's where it begins. What is the reason we hide? The second idea. Why do we hide? What's the reason behind our hiding? Now, David goes and he's trying to cover up his tracks. And he says, as we noted, Uriah, come home and go sleep with your wife. He doesn't go. He sleeps at the door. And David thinks, okay, this is not good. What's next? Uh, okay, Uriah, the second thought, I'm going um, to get you drunk. I'm going to pour things down your throat to make sure your character is out the door, is a non-player here. And yet, what does Uriah say? He says, no, still no. And as Mark pointed out this week, he said, even a drunk Uriah is more noble than a sober David. Next, we see, he said, okay, this is not working. I'm going to go send Uriah out to battle. I'm going to have Uriah killed. Put him in the most dangerous part of the battle and make sure he doesn't come home. And even in the story, in the kind of the 20s, those verses in the story, it says, um, Joab, the leader, he says, Hey, go tell David, we were we were reckless. We made military moves that were reckless, and we lost a lot of people. And we even lost this, we got so close to the enemy wall that people started throwing stones and killed this one guy. And if And Joab says, if David is upset with that, that we were reckless in our military moves, just tell him this. Uriah, your servant is dead. And that's what, the, that's what they do. They say, hey, we were pretty, we, we didn't act well out there. And we were pretty reckless with our military moves when they go tell David that. And they finally say, hey, but Uriah, your servant is dead. And David essentially says, okay, then it's all good. We'll rally. All because he can, he covers his personal sin with a military might as he puts his, his people in danger. The heart of hiding is where wrong is covered with wrong, is covered with wrong, is covered with wrong. And all of a sudden, all these things that are now the collateral of the original thing has outgrown the first transgression. The modern example of this in cinema is the character of Jerry Lundegaard. Jerry Lundegaard is the protagonist, but really the antagonist of the movie Fargo in the 1990s. And Jerry Lundegaard, you see, he is a salesman selling GMs uh, in Minneapolis. And he's selling cars, and he has gotten this loan from General Motors for $320,000. And he has put the collateral, the risk for that $320,000 loan uh, as cars on his lot. So he basically says, hey, give me the money, but don't worry. There's this stuff to back it up. And the stuff that's to back it up, the cars that he's put up for collateral, don't actually exist. He's made them up. He's made the VIN numbers up. And finally, when GM calls and says, hey, we gave you all that money, but but we don't have these VIN numbers. We don't have the car numbers that you've put up as collateral. He says, uh, and he hangs up. He's in debt, and he's getting caught for it, actually, too. And so he has this great idea. He realizes there's a guy that works in the mechanic section of the dealership who has some strings I can pull. And I'm going to have my wife kidnapped and a ransom put up for a million dollars and my boss who happens to me my father-in-law also will pay that million dollars to the kidnappers i'll make sure my debts are covered and we'll be fine and so jerry lundegaard then goes into action and his wife one day two men come to the door and they get his wife put her in the car and they're driving to this remote cabin in minnesota and as they're driving to this remote cabin, these two uh, just non-sharp, Jerry, uh, Steve Buscemi is one of them, but the, these two just um, unwise kidnappers are pulled over by a state trooper. And as they're pulled over, uh, the other uh, non-Steve Buscemi kidnapper kills the state trooper. And then there's two people that see him kill the state trooper. And so they go kill those two people three people dead. They get to the cabin and all of a sudden the wife won't be quiet. They kill her. All of a sudden they still want that money. They don't run. They still want that million dollars. And so they go and for the drop-off to meet the father-in-law who says, I am going to give these rats the money myself. And he's going to kill them. And so actually when the drop-off tries to happen with a million dollars, the kidnappers end up killing the father-in-law. And then all of a sudden, later on in the movie, we see of the two kidnappers, one of the kidnappers kills the other kidnapper. And the movie ends with one of them going into a wood chipper. $320,000 is the loan from GM that the movie begins with. And the movie ends with seven people dead, all related to jerry lundegaard and the last scene of the movie is jerry lundegaard trying to run away from the authorities he doesn't want to face the music and that's exactly what we see in david the things to cover up the original wrong makes it so much worse and so much worse and so much worse that we see he keeps on hiding he will go at no length to make sure his original sin and scandal is covered up and he doesn't have to face the music. So much to hide something that is actually so much smaller in the front end. And, and, and the power of it is that the collateral for our sin, as we try to cover it up, is this gravitational pull that pulls our entire world in all the more. So why does David hide? Why does Jerry Lundegaard hide? Why would you and I hide? Why do we hide? And I think what's important to note is that the depth of our hiding is not because we maybe have slept with the wrong people, and the depth of our hiding is not because we owe a lot of money. The reason we hide is so much deeper, and we need to grasp it. And actually, I think we find the original reason, the pedigree in which we find ourselves in the third chapter of the Bible. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, the third chapter of Genesis, we see when things begin to go awry. The first two chapters show this is the ideal world. This is paradise. God has established for his people to rule and reign over it, Adam and Eve, to be in the the garden in the world and be fruitful and multiply. It says to cultivate it, make it beautiful. He's saying, I'm giving you the power for it. And we see in Genesis 3, things go wrong. And in verse 6 and on, it says this. It says, When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Adam and Eve, David. Adam and Eve were called to rule and reign over God's garden. David was called to rule and reign over God's kingdom and for Israel. Adam and Eve, they saw what was pleasing to their eye and they took it, the fruit. They, David, he saw what was pleasing to the eye and he took it, Bathsheba. Adam and Eve, they saw the liability that their sin had caused and they realized they were naked and filled with shame and they covered themselves with fig leaves. And David knew the liability his sin had caused and he covered himself with actions of killing Uriah. The reason we hide is the same reason Adam and Eve hid, David hid hides. The reason we hide is because we cannot stand being vulnerable. We cannot stand being vulnerable. Now, and I realize it's, it's a, a large word nowadays. We can't stand being liable, susceptible, weak, opened up. We can't stand it. And a guy named Kurt Thompson, who wrote a book called The Soul of Shame, really helps lean into this this piece here. And he says this, he says, we tend to think of vulnerability as something we experience at particular times or occasions. We sense it when we're criticized, when we're ill, when we have uh, been fired from a job, when we have a difficult conversation with someone uh, we perceive has more power than we do, when we speak in front of an audience, or when we have to d- defense uh, a dissertation. This is not inaccurate. It's not an inaccurate description of what it means to be feel vulnerable, but it is incomplete. In reality, vulnerability is not something we choose or that is true in a given moment, while the rest of it is not. Rather, it is something we are. This is why we wear clothes, live in houses, and have speed limits. So much of what we do in life is designed, among other things, to protect us from the fact that we are vulnerable at all times. To be human is to be vulnerable. Vulnerability is not a question of uh, if, but rather to what degree. The question then is not if we are or will be vulnerable, but how and when we enter into it consciously and intentionally for the sake of creating a world of goodness and beauty. To be human is to be vulnerable. Not if you are, but how much you are in each given moment and what kurt thompson's offering and what i would offer too is that we position ourselves organize our lives in such a way that we limit the risk of our vulnerability of being known of people really knowing who we are deep down and and to cover that vulnerability which that's there at all times we will gather whatever resources are around us to cover ourselves up all of a sudden, Adam and Eve realized that they were naked and they felt shame. And what did they do? They grabbed fig leaves and made coverings for themselves. It's instinctively to cover up the vulnerability that's seen by everyone. What did David do? All of a sudden, he's realizing, this is not good, this scandal. I'm, I'm, I'm susceptible to, to all of a sudden being illegitimate. And what does he do? He does actions to position himself to cover his own sin and hide. What does Jerry Lundegaard do? He he does this web of lies all of a sudden to hide a debt. Friends, what resources do you grab around you when you feel vulnerable and opened up and at risk and threatened? Because, I mean, you're probably not like David, having power to have people killed. Probably not like Adam and Eve, grabbing... Leaves and making clothes out of them. But actually, maybe you cannot stand being unconnected and alone to the point in which you will grab anyone around you to make sure you're, you're safe. And it doesn't matter who it is. Maybe actually you feel the pressure so much of others' opinions that you don't want to be vulnerable and susceptible to their opinions being true, that you'll scramble and make whatever... You need to happen, happen, to control a situation. Maybe you feel vulnerable of being thought of as wrong. And so therefore, you want to make sure everything in your world is right. And therefore, you will control whatever you can control and be critical of whatever you can be critical of. And maybe you're so filled with shame that you will bury it and bury it and bury it And the only action you do after burying it is look away and move on. The reason we hide is not because we've done something wrong. The reason we hide is because we're vulnerable at all times. And when you begin to apply that to your life, all of a sudden, the things that you do will begin to make more sense. I'm not going to maybe call them good or bad, but they'll make more sense because deep down we can't stand being vulnerable. So friends to simply ask the question, what are your fig leaves? What are the things you grab when you feel the hint of vulnerability, the hint of being susceptible that people will know really who you are. You grab something to cover it up because you'd rather live with that reality being seen by others instead of having your shame be wide open. That's why we hide, is because we can't stand being vulnerable. We can't stand the thought of people really knowing who we are. So, so what? Aren't you glad you came to church today? Coming out of our hiding. This last idea, how do we come out of our hiding? Now, I want to take a quick moment. We will see how this story plays out and ends. Mark will preach next week at same bat time, same bat channel, exactly how there's resolution. And the resolution is David is called out. And the resolution actually happens with others around us in community, small plug for city groups. But it's important that we don't put a nice, tidy bow on this story because it doesn't end well. The chapter doesn't end well. It, the, the last words are, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Well, thanks for that resolution. What we need to see here, even amid this, this chapter ending in such a horrific way, after so many horrific things have happened, what we're supposed to see here is not... Don't be like David. Just don't be that guy. Just as the stories when David does good things like Goliath, be like David, be the good guy. What we're supposed to glean from this story and every other story in the Bible is that David's not the main actor. Even Bathsheba or Uriah or Joab's not the main actor. The main actor of the stories is a God who sees us. Remember, it says, God knows every single action that David does, and he knows the reasons why he does every action. And the end of the story, it says that uh, what David had done displeased the Lord. We don't look at David and say, look at David, he did so bad. Well, actually our heart is supposed to be tuned with is that what pleases the Lord, because the Lord is the one, our God is the one who sees the heart. And even as he looks at a heart of hiding in David and he looks at a victim of Bathsheba and he looks at the martyr of Uriah and someone who's implicated like Joab, God sees every single character in the story. Do you know that you have a God who sees you exactly where you are? That's supposed to be the thrust of the story. Well, yes, David is not the model citizen here and he is not. In fact, he has acted wickedly. What we're supposed to grasp is that he looks at us and sees us. There's a serial killer. That was, that's a that's a heavy intro. Named John Wayne Gacy, and he would dress up as a clown and he would he would he would kill people, and he would hide their bodies underneath the floorboards of his house. And there's a story that a, a song that Sufjan Stevens wrote, and he says this. He says. In my best behavior, I'm really just like him, John Wayne Gacy. He says, look beneath the floorboards for the secrets I have hid. I don't think any one of you have killed anybody. And yet, we have a God that looks beneath the floorboards of the secrets we have hid in our own heart because we can't stand being seen and known. And yet, we have a God who sees us and gives us a different way out, even as we cover up vulnerability. And the way out is this. Henry Nouwen says this. He says uh, that, Clay, if you wanna put it on the screen. He says that the Christian leader of the future is called to be completely irrelevant and stand in the world with nothing to offer but his or her own vulnerable self. That is the way Jesus came to reveal God's love. What do you do with your vulnerability? We see, we hide it, we cover it, we do anything we can for it not to be known, and yet we look at Jesus, the one who stood out in the world, open, vulnerable, and yet finding life. That unlike Adam and Eve, who were whose shame drove them to cover themselves up, what we see is that Jesus goes to a cross of shame because of Adam and Eve and David and you and I, and he goes to a cross of shame and he says, actually, I will be uncovered and stripped bare for you. And unlike David, who all of a sudden is trying to cover his own sin with wrongful action, Jesus says, I will cover your sin with righteous action. The purpose of the story is, yes, to look at the way David messed up. But the purpose and the real point of the story is to see we have a God who looks at the Davids and the Bathshebas and the Uriahs and the Joabs and says, I see who you are and how you are. And I want to move towards you and call you out of the hiding, out of the darkness, out of the captivity, so you can know freedom and light because that's what the king of all things has purchased for us who went to this cross of shame who has stripped naked for us who because of our sin was nailed to it and He is there to extend grace to you even as we hide 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 we can know the true meaning of vulnerability because he was vulnerable for us that's what he's offering for us today even as we hide Let's pray. Lord, like any other Sunday that your spirit has to do the real work. And so would your spirit do just that? We feel more seen and more drawn out, Lord, and more fixed and healed, all because you are the one doing it. I pray that if there is anything I've said, Lord, that causes unrest, would you give stillness to it? And yet you are a God who says, I want to disturb the comfortable. And I want to comfort the disturbed. Because this story is about you, not even about David. May we come to you, a God who sees us and knows us, even in our vulnerability and are opened up and are susceptible. And may we be known and loved because that's what you offer us this very day. We pray in Christ's name, the one vulnerable for us. Amen. May we come to you, a God who sees us and knows us, even in our vulnerability and are opened up and are susceptible. And may we be known and loved because that's what you offer us this very day. We pray in Christ's name, the one vulnerable for us. Amen.